0: Thanks for listening to the Three Strands Podcast. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit us at threestrands.church. Let's pray. Father, there's nothing more important than uh, we'll talk about if this church goes on 100 more years than what we're talking about today. So I pray that you would just saturate the scriptures over those that are here and those that are listening on the podcast later on this week, God. And that you would just save people. That you would just bring people to know your son Jesus. Because uh, he's as good as it gets. And he's wonderful. And we want to praise you today. We know that nothing apart from prayer. And nothing apart from uh, your Holy Spirit. Um, will cause an eternal change in somebody's heart. So we pray that you would just enter into this room. And just speak to us this morning. For it's in Jesus name we pray. Amen. Psalm one. 22, verse 1 says, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And I'm not sure that that verse has ever rung more true than it does today after being off for nine or ten weeks, whatever uh, it was. And it this time has kind of taught us what those great theologians, uh, Cinderella, that hard rock 80s group back in the uh, late 80s, early 80s, whatever. The song that they said, you don't know what you got till it's gone, Right. And so these last eight or nine weeks have kind of reminded us, man, we just kind of don't know what we had until we don't get to meet together. But uh, the truth is, the church didn't close. We are the church. We're scattered everywhere. But it's so good to be back together, isn't it? You know, it's, it really is wonderful, even if we have a low crowd this morning. But we say it all the time around here, that you can get other preaching online, you can get other music online, but it's this community, this being together, worshiping with other believers that we miss out on when we're not uh, together. So thank God that we're back together as a church family. Um, but I do want to clear up any confusion um, out there about the guidelines. I know Dave made a video this week and put it on Facebook and we watched it, and then there's on your seat there, there's some uh, guidelines front and back there. So I didn't know if uh, it was very clear or not concerning this virus. So uh, if he's not covered everything, I I brought a little video I want to show you uh, with a little more help to kind of tie up any loose ends that he may have forgotten. So take a look.
1: I really don't understand why everybody isn't following the same rules right now. They're very clear. So let's take a minute. Let's go over them again. First, you must not leave the house for any reason unless of course you have a reason and then you may leave the house. All stores are closed except those that are open and all stores must close unless of course they need to stay open. This virus is deadly but don't be afraid of it. It can only kill people who are vulnerable and also those who are not vulnerable. We should stay locked down until the virus stops infecting people and it will only stop infecting people if enough of us get infected that we build immunity. So it is very important that we get infected and also do not get infected. You should not go to the doctor's office or the hospital unless you have to go there, unless of course you are too sick to go there. This virus has no effect on children except for those children in which it affects. remains active on different surfaces for two hours or four hours or six hours but in most cases it's days and not hours and it needs a damp environment or a cold environment that is warm and dry in the air unless the air is plastic. Schools are closed, so you need to homeschool your children unless you can send them to school because you are not home. If you are at home, you can school your children using various portals and online classrooms unless you have poor internet, more than one child, only one computer, or you are working from home. Baking cakes can be considered math, science, or art. If you are home educating, you can include household chores within their education curriculum. And if you are home educating, you may start drinking at approximately 10 a.m. every day. If you are not home educating children, you may also start drinking at approximately 10 a.m. Masks are useless at protecting you against the virus, but you still need to wear one because it can save lives. And in some cases it may even be mandatory, but also maybe not. You must not go to work, but you can get another job at which point you may go to work. Stay home. I don't know how many more celebrities we need to have tell you how important it is to go outside and take care of your mental health. There is no shortage of groceries in the supermarket. There are simply many things missing. You don't need to go buy a bunch of toilet paper, but you should buy some in case you need it. If you are sick, you may go out once you are better, but those in your household, they cannot go out once you are better, unless, of course, they need to go out. Animals are not affected by the virus except for that cat that tested positive in Belgium in February plus a couple tigers. The number of corona-related deaths will be announced daily, but we don't know how many people are infected because we were only testing those who are almost dead to determine if that's what they will die of. The people who die of corona who are not counted won't or will be counted, but maybe not. To help protect yourself during these times, you should be eating well and exercising, but exercising only eating what you have at home to avoid going to the stores unless you need toilet paper or a fence panel. It's important to get fresh air but don't go to parks, but do go walk in other places. Just don't sit down unless you are old or pregnant. But if you do sit down, don't sit for too long unless you are old and you are pregnant, in which case you need to sit down. But if you do sit down, don't eat unless you've had a long walk, which you are allowed to do if you are old or pregnant, except for times in which you aren't. Don't visit old people but you have a moral obligation to take care of old people and bring them food and medicine. And finally, no businesses will go down due to coronavirus except those businesses that go down due to COVID-19. I hope this cleared up any questions about what we should and should not be doing during this time. Please educate your friends and family with this information so we can remove any and all confusion surrounding this time. Thank you.
0: Yeah, yeah that's what i felt like trying to keep up with all this right there you know it has created a lot more questions and answers for me trying to keep up with all the guidelines and all that not here at church just nationally you know state level so i watched it i was cracking up i was like that's me that's what i feel like you know oh anyway so there are a lot of questions i'm sure after watching that but that leaves me with a better question we're going to talk about today but you know there's a lot of good questions out there all right i've been asking people all week give me some good questions what do you think the best question ever is and i've heard a lot um, of different ones but uh, things such as this like why do you park in a driveway and drive on a parkway right makes no sense whatsoever but that's a good question Uh, Another one I heard this week was, why did Pluto stand on all four legs while Goofy just stood erect on two? They're both dogs, right? Now, that's a good question, you know. Um, Heather came up with this one. Did Adam and Eve have belly buttons? I thought, I don't know. That is a great question, you know. And then my favorite one um, of the week was this. What happens if you get scared half to death twice? That's bad. You're going to be in bad shape if you get scared half to death twice, okay? Those are some good questions, but today we are going to talk about the best question ever. The best question that's ever been asked. Like I said when I was praying, we could could have this church go on a hundred more years. There's never going to be a more important question than this one. Um, I read a book several years ago about making decisions in which the author used various proverbs. Uh, He said to stop asking if something is right or wrong and begin asking this question, is it wise? He said that was the best question ever. And while I agree, that is a very, very good question that's helped me personally navigate uh, through many great areas of life, I think there's an even better question that would win the award for best question ever i was reading a billy graham evangelistical association article this week and this question was asked to siri by a quarantine police officer he was on the phone with one of their counselors he was having some issues and he told the counselor he said do you want to know how i found your webpage? he said i went to google and i asked siri how do i get saved And that's when your page popped up, and I called the number on the screen. And so, the best question ever is recorded for us in Acts chapter 16, the second part of verse 30, when a Philippian jailer asked Paul and Silas the question. Here it is What must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? Have you ever asked that question or have you ever wondered about it? Well, that's where we're going today. Because for those of us who grew up in church, answering this question can sometimes cause some confusion. But it's not supposed to. Jesus made it so simple that a child could understand it. And Jesus saves is a slogan in which all Christians agree on. But who he saves and how he saves them... And what it means to be saved, well, that can get a little tricky at times. Churches, even in our own county, have different ways or teach different ways or hoops that you have to jump through to become a Christian. And so uh, I remember one of my students a while back uh, said that she went to church one night and the preacher told her that she wasn't saved because she didn't do it right the first time because she didn't pray a prayer. I've asked my health class uh, frequently at school when we're learning about spiritual health what they think their purpose in life is. And it never fails that some uh, well-intentioned, church-going student will respond with, to be saved. That's what my purpose in life is, to be saved. And so I always try to play the devil's advocate, and I'll ask, you know, well, what's that mean? Very seldom... Maybe 10% of the time, can they explain to the class what that actually means, yet they think, or they've been told, it's their entire purpose for living. I remember when I was 12 years old, my best friend at the time, when I just moved back from California, his name was Jeff Brunner, and he said, "Uh, hey, are you saved? And I remember thinking, what in the world is he talking about? Saved from what? I mean, what do I need to be saved from? Is somebody after me? Somebody chasing me? You know, what are you talking about? I heard about a man who went forward at a church one time during the invitation time to accept Jesus as his Savior. And he was told to kneel at the altar and pray it through. And then while he was praying, an usher came up, gave him a card, and told him, said, hey, fill out this card. While I was doing that, a counselor came up, put his arm around him and said, watch for the light, brother. When I got saved, I saw a bright light. Another person came up and said, hold on, brother, hold on. Another guy came up to him and said, let go, brother, let go. And the man said that that by the time he was finished praying through, signing cards, letting go, holding on and watching for the light that he nearly went to hell. That's what he said, okay? Uh, It's hard to... With y'all's masks on, it's hard to tell if, if you're laughing or not. It's hard at my jokes, so I don't like this. But anyway, whatever. So hopefully today, we can clear up the confusion. Because listen, salvation is the key fundamental of our faith. And it is essential to what we're about. It's the starting point for every believer. You know, we, we send many mixed signals to the watching world about how to become a Christian, but the world needs clear instructions, not mixed signals. And so I thought this morning that it would be helpful to clear up the misconceptions for us on how to become a Christian. And so listen, if you are already a Christian, you can be confident. You can be confident that you have met the requirements that God has set forth in his word and not doubt your salvation like so many people do. You can know where you're going to spend eternity and with who. And if you are a maturing Christian, we need to be able to tell somebody else what they need to do to be, quote unquote, saved. So what does it even mean to be saved? And how does someone become saved? What exactly does a person need to know? And what exactly does a person need to do to become a Christian? The guy asked Paul and Silas, what must I do to be saved? And so, as we seek to answer that question this morning, I would like for us to agree on a few things, okay? The, the first one is this. Let's listen objectively for the next few minutes. Don't listen, to see, uh, to, 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 don't listen to see if what I say measures up with what you have traditionally been taught. L- let's just look in the Bible together and let's see what God's Word has to say okay the second thing let's agree on is this let's not just take one verse out of the scriptures and and try to build an entire theology on that one verse the bible tells us to rightly divide the word of truth and to speak the whole counsel of god the entire counsel of god because when we just pull one verse out and try to build entire theology man we get into some serious issues there I heard about a man one time who said that the Bible gave him permission to marry eight wives, four better and four worse, you know, and uh, that's crazy, right? Some people will do that. They'll they'll take one verse out of the Bible or one phrase about salvation and they close their minds to what the other verses have to say. And that's why so many Christians send so many signals, mixed signals to the world, and so, uh, what I want to do is just is point out something here, though. Our instructions to other people are going to be determined by the position of the person asking the question, okay? I mean, if somebody were familiar with our area and they asked me, hey, how do you get to the University of the Cumberlands? I would just say, well, you take 92 to Williamsburg, but... If they were not familiar with our area, I would give more detail. You know, I would say, uh, hey, well, you're going to turn right out of our parking lot, and you're going to go south on US 27. And when you get to the new Highway 92, you're going to turn left. You're going to go east until you get to Williamsburg. Take a left at the second light when you get into Williamsburg. Take a right at Williamsburg High School, and the university is going to be there on your right my instructions are going to be determined by the position of the person asking the question, right? So when we study the New Testament concerning how to become a Christian, sometimes the answers are simple and sometimes more detailed depending on the knowledge of the one who's asking the question. And we need to put all the instruction of Scripture together to form a complete picture The last thing let's agree on is this. Let's just begin correctly. The entire Bible is our source of authority. But the best place to begin our study of how to become a Christian is after Jesus died and came back from the grave. A Christian is one who follows the resurrected Jesus. And so to correctly understand how to become a Christian, the best place, not the only place, but the best place to begin is immediately after Jesus' death and resurrection, and so that's why the book of Acts is a good place to start. The Acts of the Apostle, your, your Bible may say, uh, picks up what happened after Jesus ascended into heaven. And so here it is. On the day of Pentecost, the disciples went out to the streets, and they began to tell people about Jesus. And Peter was the chief spokesperson, and here's what he says in Acts, 22, start, or Acts 2, starting in verse 22. Peter said, People of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles and wonders and signs through him, as you well know. In other words, you saw these things. But God knew what would happen, and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you, he's just telling them, he called them out, you nailed him to a cross. And killed him. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in its grip. And then on down in verse 36 So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. And it says in verse 37 that, that Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? I mean, their their hearts are just cut open. What should we do if this is true? And Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of, Of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, it's to your children, and for those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. And so, from the beginning, this beginning account of Christianity, there are three things we are to do to become a Christian. So, here they are. The first one is this. Okay, let's answer the question today. What must I do to be saved? Here they are. The first thing is this we must believe the gospel. We must believe the gospel. Those that heard Peter preach on the day of Pentecost asked, what should we do? Because they believed the facts that he was telling them. And that word gospel there just simply means good news. And the good news is that the creator of the universe has reached down to earth to save you and I, even though many people deny his very existence. We we knowingly disobey His commands, and we deserve His wrath. In spite of all that, in spite of all that, He still loves us. He came to earth in the form of Jesus, died for our sins, rose from the grave, and now He offers to clean us up from the stains and the guilt of our sins, to to give us the promise of life after death, to give us a purpose for living. Guys, that's good news. That's good news. Later on, Paul said to the church at Corinth, (coughs) excuse me, that's not the Rona, in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, starting in, in verse 1, he said, let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of what? of this good news that I preached to you before. You welcomed it then and you still stand firm in it. It is this good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you, unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me, that, that Christ died for our sins, just as the Scripture said. He was buried, and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. Guys, that's good news. The good news is that salvation is free, that the price has been paid. And Paul said to the church at Ephesus in two, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, that God saved you by his grace when you what? When you believed. You can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward. Listen, it's not a reward for the good things that you and I have done so that none of us can boast about it. <clears throat> and so the first step is to believe the gospel really is true. We all know John 3, 16, the first verse that Tammy read this morning. It says, For this is, for this is how God loved the world. He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have eternal life. And this verse highlights two things that we've got to know that God loved and God gave, right? It says that God loved the world and that he gave his one and only son. And then it also highlights two of the the three things that we've got to do, believe and receive. So everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life, Receive eternal life, right? You know, I've got something in my hand here. Somebody guess and tell me what you think is in my hand, Sidney. Since you did such a good job on the video, you want to guess? No, what do you think, it? No? What do you think it is, Randy? Quarter? Quarter? What do you think? Can't hear you can't hear you dalmatian Dalmatian? no not a dalmatian it's an english bulldog (laughs) i'm just teasing anybody else want to guess dollar abby come here oh it's in salvation's in my hand wow that's impressive all right you ready you see that i want you to tell them what's in my hand can you hear can you hear in the back tray okay Raise your hand if you believe that she's right, that I have a penny in my hand. Raise your hand if you believe she's right. Okay, you can sit down. Sit down. Yeah. Y'all see that? No, my hand's kind of copper, so it kind of blends in. Sorry. <laughs> now, how many of you believe that I have a penny in my hand? Raise your hand if you believe that. See, listen. Now you don't believe it. Listen. Now you know it, right? Now you don't just believe it, now you know it. Listen, the Bible says that faith is the evidence of things not seen. We can't show you an instant replay of Jesus coming back from the grave. We can't prove using technology that the Bible is true. But God gives us tons of evidence and the testimony of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and several other people. That is credible evidence to believe. He's given us the testimony of martyrs, people who died for their conviction that Jesus was alive. He's given us the Bible, the church. He's given us our calendar, changed lives, answered prayers. And we can choose to believe that evidence or we can deny it. But listen, to believe is, is not saying you know, I think it's probably true that Jesus died and rose from the grave. Now, to, to believe is to per, be personally committed to Jesus, to trust His death on the cross as payment for our sins. And guys, real faith, listen, requires action. I would always like to say that faith is belief with legs on it. Okay? Real faith requires action. You know, back in 2018, I know I've shared this story here before, but uh, when the warnings of Hurricane Michael were loud and clear near Destin, Florida, my family and I had a choice to disbelieve or to believe the warnings. And the weatherman gave good evidence that it was going to hit near Destin with winds exceeding 130 miles per hour with waves higher than 12 feet tall. I believe the warnings while a couple of my family members disbelieved the warnings. In fact, one of them actually said, but at least we'll die happy. That's what she said. And I'm not going to tell who. I don't want to embarrass her, but her name rhymes with scabby. Okay? At least we'll die happy, she said. But listen, this sucker ended up being a Category 5 hurricane. And when the evidence and testimony was believed, It resulted in action. We didn't go to destiny. It's not enough to agree that Jesus lived and died and rose again. Even the demons believe that and shudder and they won't be in heaven with us. To believe is to trust that His Word is truth and to obey His commandments to be saved. James 2.20 says, Can't you see that faith without good deeds, it's useless. It's useless. So the first thing is we got to believe the gospel. The second one, which often gets left out when you hear any gospel presentation, is this. Guys, we've got to repent of sin. Repent of sin. In John MacArthur's book, The Gospel According to Jesus, he says that repentance is probably the most neglected teaching in the church today that we have been teaching what he calls easy believism cheap grace just believe in jesus and go live however the heck you want to live and he's going to save you regardless but we need to start teaching he says what's called lordship salvation that we don't just accept jesus as savior but also as lord as the boss of our lives and as lord he's got a right to tell us how to live. But, guys, it's all motivated in love and what's best for us. Peter told these people to repent. You know, when I read through the Ten Commandments, um, I realize that I've broken just about every one of them. And when I picture Jesus dying on a cross, and the Bible says that he died for my sins. I realized that sin should not be taken lightly. I mean, a man had to die because of it. A man had to die for me because of that. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. And our world has become so sinful these days that even people who don't know Jesus realize that something's off. Something is really, really wrong. I mean, can you imagine... How you'd feel if you were like Rip Van Winkle and you took a nap and woke up like 50 years later in America. He only slept for 20 years, but can you imagine that and you woke up today in 2020 and you turned on some of the shows that are on Netflix and HBO or you turn on the news and you hear about a guy at a movie theater who dresses up as one of the characters and just begins opening fire on an audience, killing a dozen or more people. Or or you see reports of this metropolitan mayor boycotting a restaurant all because the owner has different beliefs about marriage than he does. Or reading the statistics about abortion in America each year. Guys, you, you think that you woke up in Sodom and Gomorrah thinking something's wrong with the human race. What's happening to us? There's a sense of wrongness that that invades all of our culture today. And listen, the Bible's very clear. It just calls it sin. And Jesus says, listen, that if we don't repent, if we don't change directions, if we don't turn away from, listen, that sin will destroy us. It'll destroy us. You know, the Greek word for repent is metanoia, and it means literally to change the mind. I heard about a woman who bought a shirt for her husband at the mall, and the tag on the shirt, it said on there, shrink-resistant. And she was like, well, that's odd. And so she goes up to the counter, the checkout lady there, and uh, she asked, what does this mean? It says shrink-resistant on the tag. And the checkout clerk told her, said, well, that means it'll shrink, but it doesn't want to. That's what she said, okay? It'll shrink, but it doesn't want to. And, you know, I was thinking, when we become a Christian... We will still sin at times, but we don't want to. We we don't try to. Guys, that's repentance. It's to change direction, to do a 180, to change our mind, which will ultimately, in time, change our behavior. And you know, real repentance, true repentance involves three words. The first one is conviction. That there are so many people out there, such as like Bill Cosby, R. Kelly, that needed to say a long time ago with the rest of us, I have sinned. I've sinned. Guys, we're all in the same boat. We all need God to save us. Listen, we've not just made mistakes. We try to reduce and say, well, I just made a few. No, no, no. It's not mistakes. We have sinned. We have rebelled against God and left to ourselves. Listen, we would never choose God on our own. We're not that good. It's only by His grace and kindness, the Bible says, that He convicts us, draws us to Himself, and saves us from ourselves, from our sin. The the second thing that true repentance involves is not just conviction, but remorse. Remorse. I remember when I was growing up as a kid in Carson, California, I remember when Richard Ramirez, the night stalker, who was responsible for killing a dozen girls in Los Angeles... He was convicted of his crime, and the first thing he said in court after receiving the death sentence was this, big deal, death comes with the territory, see you at Disneyland. That's what he said. No remorse whatsoever, took 12 girls' lives. Guys, there is a sense of brokenness that comes with sin when we truly repent. Psalm 34, 18. It says the Lord is close to who? The brokenhearted. And He rescues who? Those whose spirits are crushed. We're remorseful. And the third thing that true repentance involves is change. It's not enough just to cry some saline tears. There needs to be a change. Change. Judas Iscariot felt sorry for betraying Jesus. In fact, in Matthew 27, in verse 3, it says he was filled with remorse. And so what did he do? He took 30 pieces of silver back to the leading priests and the elders, and what did he say? I have sinned. I've sinned. But you know what? Judas was too proud to change his behavior, and he went outside and committed suicide. That same night, Peter felt remorse and he denied Jesus three times. But you know what happens a month later? A month later, he is preaching boldly that Jesus is Lord. His life was changed, it was transformed. And to repent means this to repent means, listen, I once cheated in school, but now I tell the truth. I once was harsh with my spouse but now I'm gentle. I once abused drugs and alcohol, but now I'm clean. I once didn't care about what God says, but now I obey because He's not only my best friend, He is my Lord, the boss of my life. I'm not perfect. I still screw up, but God is in the process of sanctifying me, making me holy, setting me apart. It's a process. The third thing is this, we've got to believe the gospel, we've got to repent of sin, and the third thing is, we've got to respond to Jesus, we've got to respond to Jesus. Listen, if I won the lottery, I'd still have to go cash the check. I wouldn't have earned it, but I would still have to do something to receive it, right? Right? So listen, salvation is a free gift, but we have to accept it individually. I think the Scriptures teach us two things that God requires we do after we become a Christian. The first one is this. Make a public confession of our faith. Look at it in Romans 10, verses 9 and 10. If you what? If you openly declare... Okay, public confession here that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you not might be, not could be, not maybe, you will be saved. For, for it, it is by believing in your heart that you're made right with God. And it is by what? Openly declaring your faith that you are saved. Guys, when Jesus died, he died publicly. The the Bible says in Acts 26, 26 that this wasn't done in a corner. When we accept Jesus, He asks that we publicly confess Him and say that He is our Lord and our Savior to a watching world. We, We tell somebody. You know, I love it when my kids say with pride, that's my dad. That's my dad. When we accept Jesus, we are not ashamed to say, hey, that's my lord that's my heavenly father abba that's my dad look at matthew 10 verse 32 everyone who acknowledges me what publicly here on earth i will also acknowledge before my father in heaven but everyone who denies me here on earth i will also deny before my father in heaven so we, we make a public confession. The second thing is we're baptized. We're baptized. Peter said, repent and be baptized. You know, when we get married, we go through a marriage ceremony. Now, there's a lot that goes on before and after that ceremony, but we point to that ceremony as the benchmark of the relationship, Right? I mean, it it may have been in front of 12 people in your living room, like for us, or it may have been in front of 500 people at a church building, but when you exchange your vows and rings, that's when the relationship changed, right? And Tim Hawkins says, change is a coming, so it's a coming. But you walk down the aisle and you say, you know what? I don't feel any different. I don't feel different, but things are different. They're different. God gave us the ordinance of baptism as a ceremony uniting our lives with him. Now now there's a lot that goes on before that, and there's a lot of change that's going to take place after that, but it is the symbol. It is the benchmark to show that you've been saved. In fact, I love what Romans 6, 1 and 2 says. Well then, should we just keep on sinning so that grace can show us more and more of His wonderful grace? Of course not. Remember what happened to us when we were baptized? It symbolized our death, burial, and resurrection with Jesus. Look at 1 Peter 3, 21. It says, And that water is a picture of baptism. It's a symbol which now saves you, not by removing dirt from your body, but as a what a response to God from a clean conscience it is effective because of the resurrection of Jesus that's why in galatians 3:27 and all who have been united with Christ in what in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes guys we can't always see faith and repentance but we can see baptism And since it's such a tangible act, there's a danger that some would see baptism as the source of salvation. You know, what do I need to do to be saved? Well, get in the water, some people would say. Some denominations make it like a a magic formula to be performed on infants so that they can make them Christian. But water doesn't save us. Jesus does. But it's in obedience to His command. Baptism is meaningful only if it's a personal response of someone who has believed the gospel and has really repented of their sin. Now, I know that some people will go to the other extreme. And they never mention it in response to Jesus, just to avoid the impression that salvation is by works. Okay? So instead of telling people to repent and be baptized, as Peter did, uh, they say things like, repent and sign a card or repent and repeat a prayer after me or repent and and raise your hand or or walk an aisle or go to the altar but you know those are things that people do and we aren't saved by works we are saved by grace through faith and i'll talk to a lot of people have questions about about baptism you know i was i was baptized as a baby so do i have to do it again now that i'm a believer or was that good enough back then I was sprinkled when I was 12 years old, uh, but do I have to be immersed? Or I was immersed as as a kid but didn't know what I was doing, and so do I have to do it again? Listen, only God can answer those questions. But hear me, I think that they reflect a wrong attitude of how little can I do and still get by. I mean, really, come on. If Jesus is Lord, we should do whatever He asks. He's the God of the universe. We should do whatever it is he asks us to do, even if it's something small like baptism. The bottom line is this. The the bottom line to all this is this. Did Jesus come back from the grave or did he not? The resurrection of Jesus is the most important event in all of history. If he really did... Then his word is true, and he said that I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And nobody, nobody is coming to the Father except through me. That's why we can't coexist with that bumper sticker with all the different religions, and everybody gets to heaven. You can go your way, you can go your way, you can go through him. No, 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 no. Jesus said that I am the way. And nobody's getting to heaven except through me. That's it. Guys, it doesn't matter how smart we are. It doesn't matter how rich you are. It doesn't matter what title that we have by our name. Either we believe the good news or we don't. And listen to me. We're almost done. Listen, if you don't believe it, one day you're going to die alone. But if you do believe it, you die with hope. You die with Jesus to be raised again someday. That's good news. That's good news. So what must I do to be saved? I believe the gospel. Repent of my sins and respond to Jesus. Will you respond to Jesus today? if you're driving down the road now listening to this podcast, will you just respond to Jesus today? I hope for those of you that God is drawing right now that you'll just do that today. That you will accept God's free gift. That you would humble yourself. Step over that line and say, Jesus, I am yours. Guys, listen. He loves you so much. That he would rather die for you than to live without you. That's a big deal. Would you respond this morning to Jesus as we stand and sing this last song together?